Hey everybody, we are the Video Store Junkies and we are back once again, but this time we are back with a very special presentation for you. Over Labor Day weekend, our friend Bill Mulligan was at Dragon Con and he did a presentation of horror movies that were never made. And Bill generously offered to give his presentation once again for all of us and we hope you enjoy it. Absolutely. So I want to thank uh, Derek from uh, the horror convention, from Dragon Con, who allowed me to to present this, gave me a solo outing. And of course, I promptly blew it by making one that has 259 slides, which is more than you could possibly hope to get through in an hour. And I didn't even come close to getting through it all. So I'll talk fast, but feel free to interrupt. I trust you guys will, if any interruptions you have will be worthy. So you're on notice. So, yes, this is um, Unseen Horrors. I am Bill Mulligan, uh, author of the recent book, Realm, published by Falstaff Books. Uh, It is available on Amazon. And uh, if you ever see me at a convention, I'll be glad to sell it to you for 10 bucks and sign it. Wait a minute. You you charge me 20 bucks. (laughs) I'm talking I'm talking to the general audience who has never given me any reason to, you know. Oh, piss me off sure. yeah so yeah <laughs> so uh normally when we do this and and derek has allowed me to do these these solo outings and what i like to do is try to maybe show some lesser seen films get a little love something that you can take home and share with the whole family and uh but this is this is not one of those i'm sorry to say um you just you have to set your expectations a little bit low there's going to be some unhappiness this presentation, this is the dropped ice cream cones of film. These are the ones that we will never get to see. <laughs> At least not in this world, maybe in another better world. And we start with the person who really got me into fantasy film, and that's Ray Harryhausen. And if you don't know who Ray Harryhausen is, there's really no hope for you. I mean, come on, the man was a genius. He, he made these little articulated puppets move, and um, he was just absolutely fantastic. He, he has a wonderful body of work that he left behind ray harryhausen was luckier than most uh, special effects people because he hooked up with a producer charles schneer who was able to actually get the movies made compared to people like willis o'brien his mentor and others who just spent their whole careers going to one failed project after another and so ray made most of his things but there are a few that did not quite get it and one of them was the elementals which is a really cool idea about these flying bat creatures that land in, I think, I think it was Italy, and uh, stuff happens. The yeah. important thing is Ray wanted a trip to Italy, and he could use this. <laughs> he could use this as an excuse. I got to go there and shoot background plates, and they're like, yeah, whatever. And he would get a free trip to Italy and do all this, but uh, it it didn't fly. Uh huh. So he actually shot some early footage. That's actually Ray fighting his own creation. He went bald at the age of 12. (laughs) I can sympathize. Yeah, yeah. So is this why he didn't finish it? Because he got carried off? Yeah, that that was it. He he wanted to finish the film, but there's no way it was going to work without the animator. I think he ended up actually making uh, 20 million miles to Earth. So he still got a trip to Rome out of it. Uh, I would have liked to have seen the elementals. Uh, it's a cool thing. And, and Ray really did know how to make uh, flying creatures look pretty good. And you couldn't see the wires and all. But, you know, this is one of the things. For every film that didn't get made, something else 
often did get made. And if we got this, if we got the elementals, we might not have gotten 20 million miles to Earth. Something's got to give. So there's, there's that to keep in mind. This is, next one is a weird project. It's called Skin and Bones. And it's about Ooh. a photographer who accidentally <laughs> invents a new lens that allows, first his clothes become invisible, then his flesh becomes invisible. Uh. And wacky hijinks ensue, uh, you know, because look at it, it's kind of funny. Even funnier, he wanted Woody Allen to play the photographer. So this would have been something really, yeah, really unusual. Um, a Ray Harryhausen movie. An er- early 60s Woody Allen, is that? I, I think so, yeah. I think, yeah, early 60s kind of thing. And and this would really be Ray, for once, being kind of a supporting player. Yeah, the, the skeleton effects and everything would be cool, but that would not be the main thrust of the film, as it were. It was, but he tried to get this made, and there just wasn't any interest in it. Hmm. But he did, he did all this art. He was a really good artist. He could draw some cool stuff. So the one neat thing, there's a book out now about uh, the lost films of Harryhausen, which I actually showed earlier. And uh, there's a lot of stuff to show for it, which is unusual for the, for this sort of thing. The one oh, food of the gods. So <laughs> yay, here's, uh, yeah. Here's what I don't understand. If you've ever read Food of the Gods. You know, it's about the, the scientists, they invent this thing, this food that makes things grow. And they give it to chickens and you get a scene of these chickens taken over and rats and all sorts of stuff. And then the like second half of the book is they start giving it to humans and it becomes this really kick-ass science fiction story about these giants that go to war with the normal-sized people. And it's really kind of cool. And that... They've adapted this movie several times, and they've never even come close to getting it right. For some reason, the only part that everyone seems to agree with is they want to have giant chickens. <laughs> and I'm sorry. Well, there was the one with, chi- with the giant Bo Bridges in it. Remember? Yeah, Valley of the Giants. Yeah. Not one yeah. of the, not one of the yeah. better ones. Um, no, yeah, but it does have a giant Bo Bridges. It know, does have you. a giant Bo Bridges and giant chickens. Chickens are not scary. I will say, though, raised chickens... Look genuinely pissed off. I mean, look <laughs> at the expression on their face. They are they're not happy. Like they know. They know what mm. what our intentions were. And uh they're having none of it. But in real life, if you see down the bottom here, this is the picture from Food of the Gods, the Burt Gordon movie. Um, chickens, much like rabbits, it doesn't matter if you make them look bigger and smear blood on their little beaks. They're chickens. They're not intimidating. There's nothing scary about them. It's just uh so he really wanted to do Food of the Gods, but I have a feeling, among other reasons, all the terrible adaptations of Food of the Gods probably scared off anyone's desire to see that happen. I'd still like to see like a miniseries or something based on that. It's just one of those H.G. Wells stories that never gets any love. So there was one more that I really think would have been cool. Force of the Trojans, which was going to be, I think, the follow-up to um, Clash of the Titans. Trojan prince battles for revenge after his wife is killed in the Battle of Troy. With plenty of creatures in his path, he, his journey leads to the founding of Rome, including a trip to the underworld. So we're just throwing all the mythology at this. <laughs> Pretty much every, every mythical monster that hasn't been used yet, um, you know, from the, uh, from the Odyssey. And then I don't, I don't know what, what mm. one this is from, but he's pretty cool looking. That's pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, that's sweet. I like that one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, this is some cool stuff. Uh, why didn't it get made? Here's the thing. I think Ray was pretty smart and saw the writing on the wall. Clash of the Titans made money. It was actually his most successful film, but it was also his most expensive film. 
and it came out right about the time Star Wars and another stuff. A new a new thing was coming, and Ray was way past retirement age, and I think just took the opportunity to say, "I'm going to go out on top," and did. Plus, I, I think he injured his hand while he was working on Clash of the Titans. That was a difficult project, and just just you know, I think it would have been cool to make this. Every now and then, they talk about bringing this one back using stop motion and CGI to, to meld the two together. If, if Ray had been a younger man, I think he really probably would have embraced some of the more current technology and, and ran with it. But, you know, it just, it's one of those things, maybe, maybe it's for the best, um, you know, and at least he lived long enough to be celebrated. I mean, he died knowing just how much people loved his stuff, but there's one I really do miss. And that was, Ray Harryhausen's War of the Worlds. It was going to be a stop motion, the tripods, sort of a combination of his Earth versus the Flying Saucers with the tripods, a period piece. You know, I, I just love the idea of being able to see stop motion tripods fighting Thunderchild and all that. He really put a lot into this. Um, now, the one part, lots of cool art and everything, the one part I think needed to be rethought were the actual Martians because mm. they're supposed to be kind of scary, but they look kind of cute, <laughs> you know. He did a sample animation to show uh, like the death of the Martians at the very end. Oh, it is a little too cute. Oh, the it little, is oh, just, wiping uh, his uh, head. No, <laughs> oh, no. Oh, yeah, the eyes oh, are way man. too big. Oh. We can travel. Through. Yeah, that's is that what Look it is, Renee? The I think eyes. So. He's got like little Disney eyes. Yeah. Oh. I mean, how stupid do you have to be, though? You're an alien. You figured out how to travel from Mars to Earth with all that equipment and everything, and you didn't think to maybe sample the air, maybe get a vaccine or something. But well. they're still smart. They're still smarter than the aliens from Signs. You know. Oh, water I kills us. Let's go just to Earth. Of that movie. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, don't get me started on Signs. <laughs> Earth, planet of water. You know, if there's a planet of acid, I'm not landing on it, at least not without a spacesuit. So I would rate I would rate all these films on a scale of, you know, half a dropped ice cream cone to four. I give these the f- full four <laughs> dropped ice cream cones. Mm. We really <laughs> lost a lot not getting those. Now, the War mm. of the Worlds one, he shopped that around, and everyone said, this is a great idea, and then they went and made War of the Worlds without him. Oh. <gasps> And that, ah, and that's bastards. basically, yeah, that's basically what happened to Willis O'Brien, his mentor who did King Kong. He would come up with these great ideas, shop them around, and then other people would take it and do it cheaper. Jerks. So Ray was very lucky to come across a producer that, you know, believed in him and they were partners. You know, he, that man deserves a lot of credit too. Charles Schneer. Ah, Peter Jackson. So yeah. Peter Jackson, you might've heard of him. He, uh, he did the very popular Dead Alive and uh, The Frighteners, very underrated. He did the remake of King Kong. And he did uh, what he's probably best known for, Meet the Feeples. And uh, <laughs> I don't know, then sort of faded away. And I don't know what happened to him. Probably going out and making some little <laughs> obscure art flicks. But he had a chance to do something. He had an idea, and darned if it wasn't a good one, because he really thought that he had the idea that could bring back Freddy. Because Freddy had fallen on hard times. You know, they'd gotten a little stale. They weren't scary anymore. He was just quippy and everything. And his idea, and I think it was a great one, was that the teenagers of Springwood are no longer frightened by Freddy. 
and they take sleeping pills so they can go into the dream world and bitch slap him around. Just bully him. Kruger can't do anything about it. But eventually one of them slips up and he kills a kid and that gives him his powers back. And then he traps a police officer and the son has got to go in there now and save him from Freddy. I like it. I I That'd like it cool. too. I like this premise because it makes Freddy more of uh, a hero because I hate teenagers and I automatically... Yeah, there you go. And that's, there you are. Yeah, it's a good setup. And and you know, and you'd be like, would kids really do that? And then yes. just just look at the news. Yeah. Just, you know, see what the latest TikTok challenge is and that people, you know, die doing it. And you're like, of course they would go there and pick on Freddy. That's, that's mm-hmm. brilliant. I'm going to give that three ice cream the cones. The Freddy challenge. It got rejected and instead they went with Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. Oh. Oh boy! Yeah, yeah, and and you can find out all of our thoughts on that if you go listen to our uh, ranking the uh, Nightmare, Nightmare on Elm Street series yeah. from last That's year. That's right. That's right. Definitely worth a look. So that was a missed opportunity, and of course he went on to uh, do bigger and better things. Would probably wouldn't blow his nose on a Freddy movie at this point. Although who knows? Who knows? Uh, um, he he ended up doing the Hobbit movies too. So well. <laughs> Yeah. Speaking of blowing his nose on something. They probably weren't <laughs> going to, yeah. So, Alien. Alien comes out, one of the greatest science fiction horror movies ever made. How can it be topped? Aliens comes out, one of the greatest science fiction action films ever made. They're two for two, and you're like, what can we do to, to top this? And the obvious answer came, let's put Cameron Diaz's lips on the alien. <laughs> Yes, that, those are her lips. I mean, Shut I think they the took a cast door. or something. They didn't actually tear her lips off or whatever. But uh, yeah, so this... this That'd hard, be cooler if they did. That would be. Uh, this was for Alien 3. And Alien 3... I gotta say, this is, this is a really cool design. And strangely attractive. I mean, I'm not saying I'd, I'd kiss her, but... You remember that sculpture of Britney Spears? <laughs> Ooh. Remember that sculpture? Oh, that's terrifying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did that also have a pointy prehensile tail? I think she did. (laughs) No, but... (laughs) Alien 3. Alien 3, you could just do a whole presentation on the Alien 3s that we never got to see. No one could figure out what to do. And there there were a few problems. Sigourney Weaver was kind of loosey-goosey on whether or not she was going to come back. Mm. And that does influence how you write your script. So they decided to roll the dice and go for someone who hadn't done a script before, William Gibson. If you don't know who oh, he wow. is, you're obviously not a science fiction fan. Yeah, this guy, this guy's pretty influential. Neuromancer, you know, just one of the most influential science fiction movies ever made, science fiction books ever written. And a lot of cool stuff, not much of which has really translated well into cinema, because books don't necessarily have to be movies. But they, they hired him, and he was like, sure. Hey, he wasn't really, like, super enthusiastic, but I suspect they paid him a truckload of money. And so here was his premise. We've got, it's basically Hicks and Bishop. This is a direct sequel to Aliens. Battling genetically altered xenomorphs aboard an enormous space station. Ripley is in a coma. And she will remain in the coma unless Sigourney Weaver decides to sign on, in which case she shows up in the third act with a startling recovery. That was a pretty good, clever idea. It's like they're going to dangle this. It's like, we don't need you. We'd like to have you, but, you know, <laughs> maybe you shouldn't sign. Keep in mind, these people, uh, she was supposed to get a cut of the net of these movies. Mm. 
And I, I don't think I'm going to surprise any of you when I tell you there has never been a net. These movies have all <laughs> lost money. They keep making them in the hope that maybe one day, perchance, they'll make a profit. But alas, that day has never come. So she never, she never got that thing. She ended up suing him. I don't know what she won. I mean, they're all criminals. Um, the xenomorphs in this movie were grown from some of the residue that was left on Bishop. And they're being turned into bioweapons, which I think is ironic because I always felt the xenomorphs were bioweapons just not from us. So we decide to, uh, to do that, to take these incredibly hard-to-control bioweapons and turn them into even more dangerous, hard-to-control bioweapons. And I, I hope, spoiler alert, it doesn't go well. Including, I thought, a really cool idea, which is this, airborne xenomorph infection. You're minding your own business, and all of a sudden, they just come exploding out of you. you you've you turned into it, and your skin and bones just go shattering, and, and there you are, and it's... It's pretty cool. I've read the script. And you always got to keep in mind scripts are pretty dry. Even if you're if even if you're someone like, you know, Gibson, they they kind of expect you to write just the facts. They never read as well, even even good scripts, they never read as well as the finished product because they're kind of designed to be that way. So all that said, I still give this three and a half ice cream cones because it and most importantly, at least two of these ice cream cones are because this would have replaced Alien 3. And I know it's got its <laughs> defenders, but I'm not one of them. I, I don't like Alien 3 at all. I, I, the fact that it opens with the, the death of Newt. Mm. Yeah, no, sorry. Sorry. You might as well kill yeah. the cat, too, while you're at it, because I hate you. I absolutely <laughs> hate you at that point. Right. Yeah, so <laughs> I would rather have seen this one. And it has had a life of its own. As you saw, it's, it was a comic book. They made a comic book out of it. They've made a book out of it. There's been a whole bunch of stuff of this script that just, they, they were kind of like, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. And they tried a bunch of stuff. There's a lot of weird ideas for Alien 3. And then they finally went with the one they did. I just feel like they were running out of time. Like, okay, we got to shoot something. What's the latest one? Okay, go with it. That, like I say, it's God's defenders. Which, hey! That's actually that's actually exa- uh, exactly what happened if you read some of the background on that movie. Like, it's, really? it's insane. Like, they, they, they put out... Cause, uh, sorry, I know you want to move on here. But, no, 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 no. Like, th- there was a theatrical trailer which promised an Alien 3 set on Earth. It even had the tagline, mm. on Earth, everyone can hear you scream. They put out a theatrical... They, they had no script. They, this was not a film that they were making. This was not a film that I think they... Uh, I don't even know if they had a final script for it, but they, they, they put a theatrical trailer out that promised that and then ended up making a completely different movie. So that's right. the, yeah, there, you, you could do a whole, actually, hey, you could do a whole uh, yeah. a whole presentation just on the the uh, development of Alien 3. But yeah, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's it's, it's crazy. And, and, you know, actually considering the mess that that pre-production was, the movie's probably is better than it should should have been, you know, yeah. than, than I'm, you could I'm, reasonably expect. Honestly, kind of shocking that David Fincher ever worked again after that. Yeah. But I guess it's a good thing that he crawled his way out of that pit. Right, right. And maybe people understood it's like no one could have made it work. They're just the, the, all, all the cards were stacked against them in that. But Hollywood's usually not that forgiving no matter what. So let's go back in time. Back in time. Um, the Wolfman versus Dracula. Yeah, in Technicolor. See, that's a big deal because none of the Universal monster movies, except for Phantom of the Opera, were in Technicolor. They they started making Son of Frankenstein in Technicolor, and then they decided not to. But we still have a couple of you know old photos of that, and that's where you can see Frank. The monster was actually green 
because that showed up that looked pretty cool that was the color they used in the black and white to make it look the right kind of pale color in technicolor it looks pretty goofy and so they decided to just go with regular stuff but they were going to do technicolor color was in uh this was going to originally be bell go uh, long cheney jr playing both roles until it was explained that that's really a stupid idea because a lot of this movie is <laughs> is yeah the wolfman arguing with dracula and both of them are pretending to be someone else i've read the script it's talky 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 it it doesn't the the wolfman's okay but dracula is pretending to be someone else he's he's hitting on the daughter of a grave digger uh yeah and that, that's the daughter that the wolfman falls in love with a lot of yapping until the, finally at the end and um you know this could have been good because they find then they said hey who else could play dracula wait a minute bell lugosi's still alive <laughs> and that pretty much sums up the career of bell lugosi that every time every time they're making these dracula stuff and everything they seem to forget that they have the original you know, he was there. He was alive. What, why are they not immediately casting him in this? That would have been fun. It was actually fun watching him fight the, the werewolf and Abin Costello meet Frankenstein. But there's part of the problem. If I got a Dracula versus the werewolf, I'm expecting something like this, like a Frank Frazetta. I mean, they're just kicking ass and everything. The final fight in the Wolfman versus Dracula is that Dracula turns into a giant bat. So we don't really get that fight. We get that last little scene of Abbott Costello meets Frankenstein where Dracula turns into a bat, flies off the banister, gets grabbed by the wolfman. They both plummet to their deaths. Womp, womp, womp. I don't know. Two. Two ice cream cones. (laughs) I don't think it would have been very good. I still would like to see it, but I don't think I don't think I think we didn't really miss much. Hey, Dracula's daughter is really underrated, but it would have been a classic if they'd gone with the original idea. It was going to be directed by James Whale, so already you got good. It was going to have Bell Lugosi, Jane Wyatt as the daughter of Dracula, though I do like like the actress they got for the actual one. And um, it opens in the 14th century. Dracula's army is, you know, just tearing through the countryside. So he's kind of like Vlad the Impaler, kidnapping women. He finds one of them proclaiming her his daughter, although it's kind of sketchy on exactly their relationship. He gets cursed with vampirism. And then we cut to the present. Dracula has been killed and they go to uh, his homeland where the countess, the daughter, is still there. And Van Helsing has to come back and clean up the mess. It was a really big production. Like this would have been... This would have been the Bride of Frankenstein of Dracula films. Mm. Um, But here's the thing. The British censors, here's what they said. Dracula was ghoulish, weird, eerie, and every other adjective in the language that expresses horror. But Dracula's daughter would require the resources of half a dozen more languages to adequately, adequately express its beastliness. I consider this absolutely unfit for exhibition as a film. Wow. They, they... They killed it. Fuckers. They killed it dead. Fuckers. Yes, they absolutely did. And, and and then we came out with Dracula's Daughter, which is often hailed as the first lesbian vampire. You gotta be, you gotta really look for some subtext. I mean, I don't know. Is she gay? Maybe. She probably, I mean, she looks like she might go to Lilith Fair, you know, but I don't know. It's, 
I wish they had made that movie and the poster had just been that quote from the British censor board. Oh, that yeah. Have, they would have lined up around the block. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. That's the best promotion you could possibly give. Oh, for absolutely. A movie. Yeah. So uh, another universal movie that they were working on was The Devil's Brood. And I want you to look at this cast of characters. The Wolfman. Frankenstein's monster. Look, they actually got it right. Frankenstein's monster, not Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Dracula. The Hunchback. The Mad Doctor, The Invisible Man, The Wild Woman from Captive Wild Woman. They made three movies with uh, Aquanada as the ape woman. Uh, no one remembers her. The Mummy and The Mad Ghoul, who was in the movie The Mad Ghoul. Nobody remembers The Mad Ghoul. It, I mean, he's just lucky to be there. Absolutely lucky. He, he's the he's the Hawkeye of the group. He it's, Oh, 100% the Hawkeye. So, um, surprisingly, they made this movie. But when they did... Um, yeah, it was just the Wolfman, Frankenstein's monster, Dracula, the Hunchback, and the Mad Doctor. The Ape Woman, the Mummy, and the Mad Ghoul pretty much just disappeared. And I think the Invisible Man did too, but I suppose it's possible he's still in the movie because, you know, (laughs) he's invisible. Uh, yeah, so House of Frankenstein. Now, House of Frankenstein, if you watch it, it's a mess. It's a real mess. This movie makes no sense. It's like these guys are just sort of wandering around. And uh, they find Dracula, and they pull the stake out of his heart, and he comes back to life. And then some stuff happens, and he dies, and they get back in the wagon, they drive some more. Then they find the Frankenstein's monster. It's like, what the hell? Um, This is so random. This movie is completely random. None of it really makes a lot of sense, but it does have a bunch of monsters in it. It just should have had more. It would have been an even bigger mess, but, you know, more monsters would have been fun. At this point, they were kind of just hacking it out. I mean, it's not a great film. I, get, I liked it better when it was the Mad Monster Party. Yeah, yeah. A better mashup there. I'm giving this one. I, I think, I mean, House of Frankenstein is not one of my favorites. So anything that could have improved it would be better. And adding, you know, four more monsters. Well, three monsters and the Mad Ghoul um, would be would be pretty cool. So. Hey, what do you think? Huh? Hey, that'll. that'll oh, hell, Hellraiser. Hellraiser meets Halloween. Couldn't have been worse than what we got. Well, let me sw- <laughs> let me sweeten the deal a little bit here. What if I told you that this was going to be written by Clive Barker himself? <gasps> Ooh. Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now, downgrade your expectations because here's what he was thinking. Young Michael finds the Hellraiser box, and when he opens it up, he's possessed by the Lord of the Dead, whose name is Sam Hain. Mm. Yeah. Mm <laughs> is right. Mm. Clyde Barker said he saw Michael as a sadomasochistic sexual pervert and serial killer, which would be enough to pique Pinhead's interest. Since Michael doesn't talk, there was a problem in, like, how are these two going to interact? But apparently Michael's something of a freak and that, that, yeah, I don't know. I, I, you know, listen, I don't want to second guess Clyde Barker, but I'm not getting good feels from this. Although I do like the title. Halloween's a good title. That's a good title. Wasn't, wasn't that the, isn't that the title of an album? Shut up. Yeah, probably. I mean, come on. There's no good ideas. Okay. I'm giving that one too. But, but, as, as subpar. Is this is the name of a band. Yeah, oh, I was like, oh, yeah. Familiar. There's a band called Halloween. Sorry. I'll bet, I'll bet they're really good. Um, as bad as that idea was, this is one of the worst ideas in the history of ideas. <laughs> and, and no, I'm not joking. They were th- Candyman meets Leprechaun. Probably in the hood. Or space. Um, yeah, and, and um, 
Tony Todd put the kibosh on it. He's like, <laughs> no. And I think we all owe Tony Todd a, a drink at the next convention yeah. I go to that Tony Todd is there. It's like, sir, this is for this is for Candyman, and this is for the lack of Candyman meets Leprechaun. I think I think you buy him the drink, <laughs> and then you get him to talk about this. And yeah. Oh, see oh. If he has any stories. And record it, and and yeah, it's just uh, uh, just the just a terrible <laughs> idea. But you know what would have been a good team up? This one, Jason. Well, that's something. Yeah, Jason. Yeah, yeah weren't they working Ash. on that? Well, yes, they were. They were, and um, there was a, there were a few problems. Like they don't actually own the rights to all the no no one person owns the rights to these three characters. So you've got that problem where you've got to get a bunch of these Hollywood greed heads to come together and agree on how to divvy up the profits, and they all, you know, that's not going to work. But the other problem was that um, Bruce Campbell, who, you know, picks and chooses his projects. he does. I guess he doesn't feel obligated to have to be working 24-7. He was like, yeah, I like the idea, but of course, you know, Ash has got to kill these guys. And they were like, whoa, 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 no, no, you can't kill our characters. <laughs> like, what are you upset about? Like, you can't bring them back? They've died in almost every movie they've been in, and you brought them back. Let Ash kill them. What's wrong they, with you? They, both both series have a uh, an installment with the word "final" in the title. And uh, spoiler alert: it's not the final movie no, in the it's, franchise. It's pretty much in the middle, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, that was that was the thing, and it, it just fell apart. They did make it into a comic book, and it's it's predictably fun. I mean, yes, I would go see that. Uh, Four ice cream cones, easy. <laughs> Come on, that would just be fun. It almost writes itself. Uh, John Carpenter's involved with a lot of things that did not come to fruition, unfortunately. And the one that I really kind of like, or one of the ones, was Shadow Company, which is kind of... Um... Oh, it has a screenplay by Shane Black and Fred Decker. Who oh, wow. The Predator and Monster Squad, so you know, pretty cool. And it, it starts in Saigon, where the Shadow Company is, these are these are soldiers that apparently have been turned into zombies. They're killed and buried, but it doesn't really take. And then it flashes 16 years later, their bodies are brought back to America, where they uh, come back to life and bring the war home to those who betrayed it. Yeah, pretty good stuff. Lots of gushy action. Lots of, uh, you know, the soldiers just take out. This one has really kind of taken on a life of its own where people just like the script and like the idea. There's all kinds of fan art, and the script is out there. It sounds like a lot of fun. I would have loved to have seen what Carpenter would have brought to it. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Death Dream and a little bit of They Live kind of melded together mm. into something pretty cool. I'll give it three ice cream cones. <laughs> do, you think it's one, do you think it's one of those ones that, like, the, the Blacklist films that, that somebody might actually make it? Not Carpenter, probably, but... You know, somebody maybe, else might make it at maybe, some point. But I've I've made this observation before. Very few of the films on the blacklist, which are the great unproduced screenplays of every year, and everyone agrees they're great. Very few of them ever get made. And there's a thing: the Hollywood Hollywood's got this thing. Once a film loses momentum, they treat it as though it's cursed. They are the most superstitious dullards in Hollywood. <laughs> if something if something goes wrong, they just treat it like this was a sign from the gods not to make this film. It's like, what are you talking about? You know, the funding fell through. It was not the fault of the script. It was a good script then. It's a good script now. No, it's tainted. They are, they're so terrified of losing money. And yet they do it so well, so consistently. I, I, don't, I don't know. It, it seems like a no-brainer. 
Netflix is always looking for something to do, and they end up just making the same movie over and over again. Grab some of these scripts. Oh, but it was written in the 80s, and we can't relate. Good God, do you hear yourself talk, man? Oh, they're such idiots. Um, The Blob. So, so also the sort of... Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. Go uh, ahead. I was just going to say, it, that feels like one of those those scripts that they could just update it. Like, it doesn't have to be yeah. in Vietnam anymore. Like, no, you know, no. Hey, guess, we, we have a new war every generation. You can uh, set that in. So, oh, come on. You know, update the, it and... Yeah, it's, it was in the Ukraine. Okay, yeah, now it's topical. It's great. The Blob. <laughs> so, we do, now we did, and you should all, any viewers should go back and listen to our wonderful podcast on The Blobs. All the all three Blob movies. Uh, we had the Blob, and and the remake of the Blob was was really good. We all agree, we really liked that movie, but it didn't do well. And so someone decided to take a crack at it again, and that someone was Rob Zombie. <laughs> Wanted to make his his own um, his own Blob movie. Did, 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 did it did it star Sherry Moon Zombie as the Blob? <laughs> you must Sorry. be psychic. Have I talked to you about this? Because indeed it did. <laughs> And um, no, this is this is a real thing. And what's amazing is some of the production art came out and it's like awesome. The cool concept they had here is that there is the blob, the big blob, but the blob is also able to send out little bloblets, little humanoid blob creatures that look more or less like humans or whatever they absorbed. And they go out and absorb more and then come back and bring it to the mother blob. Oh, my God. Yeah, I love these. These are like Mars Attacks cards, you know. Now, They're what, great. What, it's just was this was this a was this a that he wrote the script for this or he was just going to direct it? I'm pretty sure both. Okay, I suspect. Um, and sadly, it just it it fell into production hell. They they came close, but the fact that the, you know no blob movie has made any money since 1958, and this looks like it would have been one of the pricier ones of the bunch probably held him back i mean but i i think i i i love this one so three ice cream cones um i would make it four but i'm not really sure if rob zombie's a good monster director mm. i like some of the stuff he's made and i haven't liked some of the other stuff he's made but hard to say but i'll give it three and and more than happy to bump it up to four hey i got an idea you're gonna like this idea <laughs> what if we took Ilsa, She-Wolf of the SS, and had her fight Bruce Lee. Wait, oh, wait, wait. Man. Don't say anything, because did I forget to mention it takes place in the Bermuda Triangle? Mm. Oh. Oh. That's right. It's Ilsa meets Bruce Lee in the Devil's Triangle, the match of the century. It's your 1976-77 box office record mm. breaker available in the fall of 76. Sadly, fall of 76 has come and gone. And we have never seen this movie, despite the fact they're advertising this in in like variety. Mm. People, uh, I, I think, I think this. I definitely do believe this would have been the the biggest film of seventy six. Seventy. I can't think of another movie that came out in nineteen seventy seven that would have eclipsed this. Yeah. At the box <laughs> right. Right. Now, one person who would not be able to actually enjoy this movie was Bruce Lee, because he was he was dead like three or four years by the time they were going to make this. And, and they uh, made they, a couple other movies after with him after he died, right? Well, oh yeah, they did. <laughs> they did get they, get the know. mask from that they used in uh, Game of Death. right? Game of Death, sure. Just oh, absolutely. On else's face. I mean, tell you the truth, that was a mo- that's a movie I should have mentioned in this because Game of Death. That what we see is just a tiny little fraction of what he filmed, and that stuff is available now, and it's really really good. His his concept of Game of Death was much better than what we got. That's faint praise, but 
you can actually, uh, there's a short, there's a documentary called Bruce Lee's Game of Death that has all that missing footage and some of his best fight stuff. It was great. Wait, so so they didn't even they didn't they they cut a bunch of his actual footage and but yes. then still went with shots of someone wearing a Bruce Lee mask. Yes, or whatever the, they did. Okay, the only the only <laughs> part the only part they kept was him fighting uh, Kareem Abdul Jabbar, and yeah. that was that was he was he was fighting his way up a pagoda and every at every stage there's a different martial artist who's using a different style of martial arts and he and two other guys. Are, are matching themselves against this. And of course, Bruce wins each and every one until he gets to the final level. And that's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And that's the only part they kept. It was great because he really wanted to show a movie that would show his, his philosophy of fighting versus, you know, more standard ones. Anyway, we didn't, you know, we didn't get that and we didn't get this. Uh, mm-hmm. Diane Thorne, who was Ilsa and seemed like a pretty nice lady. Uh, they interviewed her and she said, there never was a script. It was only discussed. She was told to study martial arts. They were trying to raise the money for it, and they were going to use an actor going by the name of Bruce Lee, L-I. He's in a lot of movies. Yeah. But um, it would have been fun, but it didn't happen. I can only imagine what this movie would have been about. Mm. Like, what happens? Does Did Bruce Lee disappear in the Bermuda Triangle? Why is there a shark? I was like, just going to ask. Like, Who's this guy? Who's this zombie in the guy? back holding up? I don't know. I don't know. Is that really Ilsa? It doesn't really look like Ilsa. Looks and Ilsa. Ilsa was the she wolf of the SS. I mean, 1976. She's going to be looking a little long in the tooth. Mm. But then you realize the Ilsa movies. There's four of them. They don't make any continuity sense. First, she's the she wolf of the SS. Then she's working for like the Soviets, Tigress of Siberia, and then somehow she ends up in Canada. Um, I forget that last. I forget that one. Whichever one it was. And then she's in a fourth movie. It isn't really an Ilsa movie. It's a Jess Franco movie, but they decided to retitle it Ilsa because it had the same actress and it's terrible. <laughs> so this movie would have been awful, just awful. But what a title. I mean, I'd be proud to have that on my wall, that poster. Ah, okay, let's talk about Hammer. Hammer time. Hammer Film Productions. They were great. I love Hammer. But... Um, there's a lot of stuff they wanted to do that they never got to make. And this is one. So this is one of those ones where, yeah, I'm sorry it didn't get made. But if it had gotten made, there'd be another movie I love that didn't get made. Hammer wanted to do King Kong. And they wanted Ray Harryhausen to do the special effects. Mm. And if they couldn't get Ray Harryhausen, they're willing to have Jim Danforth, who's probably the second best animator ever. If they couldn't get Jim Danforth, they'd get Dave Allen, who's probably the third best and actually built a Kong um, armature and did a little sample thing to show what it would look like and that was later used in a Toyota co- commercial. Mm-hmm. You can find that on YouTube. Oh. It's it's great. I think this sculpture was by Harryhausen. He was just wow. a talented guy. I was going to say, my goodness. Um, yeah, it's it's awesome and the reason that it got put down and it, it's it's so amazing to say this in the year 2023 but when they went to RKO and said, hey, we want to remake King Kong. They said, well, we have a policy and that policy, one that should be engraved on the foreheads of every studio executive in Hollywood right now, like, like in glorious bastards, they should just carve this with a knife onto their heads. They said, we do not do remakes. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So, so Hammer said, okay, I guess we can't do that. Hey, Ray, you got any other ideas? And he said, indeed I do. How about we put Raquel Welch in a bikini and we do one million years B.C.? 
Because a million years ago, well, there were no dinosaurs, but there were cavemen who probably didn't look anything like Raquel. It doesn't matter. We got this wonderful <laughs> movie. It's a great movie. Everyone who's seen it loves it. And uh, so, you know, I mean, yeah, if we got the King Kong, then we wouldn't have gotten this. And, and you know, what would it have been like? I don't know. I don't know how good uh, a Hammer King Kong would have been. But one million years B.C. was pretty darn dope. Meanwhile, RKO apparently woke up from whatever drunk bender they were on one day and like, oh, my God, did we just say no Hollywood remakes when we could have actually charged the money to make this? Hmm. So uh, we got Dino De Laurentiis, who gave them a bucket load of money and decided to make I just, you know, every time I, I had this poster on my wall, I love this poster. Mm-hmm. Um, but look at the most exciting original motion picture event of all time. <laughs> it's King Frickin' Kong. <laughs> How do you call that the most original motion picture event of all time? <laughs> I mean, and, and how big is he supposed to be? He's standing <laughs> on both of the twin towers. But then just to add insult to injury, if you haven't seen it, Dino De Laurentiis claimed that he built, they built a 50-foot robot King Kong that was used throughout the movie. And if you're watching it, you're like, wow, I did not know that 1976 robot technology was this good. Because it wasn't. That's Rick Baker in a costume, and he's good. It's a good costume, and Rick Baker knows how to make a good ape costume, and he does great. The robot was used in exactly one scene, and you'll know it when you see it. Because it looks like a Chuck E. Cheese reject. It can barely move. They spent a million dollars on this disaster. On, on, the, on just the costume. They spent way more than that on the movie. That's the other disaster. It's terrible. It's just so terrible. But here's the thing that really hurts. Because this movie exists, we did not get The Legend of King Kong. Which would have had... Well, it would have been in Sense Around. Hey, remember Sense Around? No, Ooh, you're too young. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Paul remembers. Sense Around <laughs> is they put these giant, they put these giant speakers in the theater, and they set the bass up real high. So during exciting scenes, it would vibrate through you. You know, like when when you end up on a in a in a car lane next to that person who's playing their stereo so loud that your teeth are vibrating, and you can only wonder what's happening to their internal organs. Yeah, that's what is. That's what Sense Around was like. They used it in Earthquake and Roller Coaster, and then they realized this really isn't the kind of gimmick that we need for most of our movies. The way we were is not going to be improved by having Sense Around show up every time Robert Redford kisses Barbara Streisand, although it would have gotten me there. Um, yeah, so they were going to do it there. It was going to have stop-motion animation by Jim Danforth. And Jim Danforth made a mess of really, really good um, behind-the-scenes paintings and proof-of-concept. It was going to have entirely new monsters. Uh, oh, wow. th- look, Yeah, yeah, really cool stuff and everything. Now, I've always considered this maybe the greatest unmade film of all time, but when I started digging into this rabbit hole, I start getting doubts. Like, like you know, the more I read, the more I'm wondering what exactly was going on. There were massive lawsuits flying back and forth. Nobody knew who actually owned the rights to King Kong because hmm. of RKO's weird no remake strategy. But, um, but okay, you could do a sequel, but not a remake. I'm like, what? What does that even mean? How could there be a sequel? He's dead, you know. Uh, they so first of all, who are they going to get to direct this? And they were looking at Dick Sargent, and Dick Sargent, hmm. he did the first uh, Kojak film. He did the Taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3, which is pretty darn good. Nightmares, which I don't recall seeing. I don't remember that one. He did one of my favorites, Colossus the Forbin Project, which for some reason is never streaming. 
never streaming, even though this movie is more topical today than ever. So you're thinking, this guy, this guy can deliver. Yeah, let's hold on a sec here. He also did Jaws the Revenge. Well. Jaws, Jaws, <laughs> Jaws the Revenge, I mean, that's, everyone's allowed a bad movie, but Jaws the Revenge is like a legend. It's, it's, it's just, it's so bad. It, it's so misbegotten. And, and, you know, maybe it was work for hire. Maybe they threw him on it. Obviously the shark didn't work, but the whole premise of it is so bad that it, it actually made a comedian, Richard Jenny's career. He went on, he went on the tonight show and did a routine about Jaws, the revenge. Look it up on YouTube. He kills. It made his career because it's 100% accurate that this movie is so stupid. Watching it is like being slapped in the face by the film. Ah, so I don't know. Um, kind of a cool cast. Peter Falk is Carl Denham. I like that. Robert Redford is Jack Driscoll. Yeah, yeah, they're going to have some pretty boy doing that. Susan Blakely is Ann Darrow. I, you know, I'm okay with all of these. Um, and like I said, there was a lot of really cool behind-the-scenes stuff. But then I found this. And... I don't know oh what goodness. this means. Oh my goodness! Oh. Um, That's, this is the this is the flashback to uh, Baby Kong, oh obviously. My goodness. Is it? They couldn't even afford a full size gorilla suit. <laughs> so I'm thinking maybe the premise was it's like, damn, we're gonna have to build these sets. Hey, wait, I got an idea. What if we had like a little person in the in the King Kong suit? <laughs> then we wouldn't have to make the set so big. We could make them smaller. Yeah, it, it, I, you know, but I, all I could find was this. I, it, no explanation. Whoa, what is this from? What were they thinking? Is this really where they were going with it? But it gets worse because apparently in all this, this, this movie was in absolute production hell because they, they were trying to rush it so they could beat Daniel De Laurentiis to the screen. That wasn't going to happen. Also, also I, I would like to, I would like to point out though, this, this picture is the origin of the dab. So it is still notable. <laughs> still yeah. So we did, we did, we did indeed. Um, at some point they started saying, what if Kong, their Kong's going to look like a gorilla? Sure. But what if our Kong was more of like a primitive man? And, um, Danforth was like, well, okay. Mm. You mean something like this? And they were like, yeah, something like that. Um, oh, oh, is right. No, (laughs) just... This guy's got oh no cerebellum. This this is um, no, really no, alarming. No. Oh, no. No, oh. no, just no, no, no. We don't talk about this one. No, no, no. <laughs> makes me long years. for the De Laurentiis one. Yeah, I know. You start oh. thinking, maybe Dino De Laurentiis. So, okay, I don't know what to say about that <laughs> one. I have no idea whether we dodged a bullet or we got away with murder. Um, or or, or what, what? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, man, who knows? At any rate, they, they just basically agreed that uh, Dino De Laurentiis would make his movie and then Universal would make theirs after his made a bucket load of money, but it didn't make a bucket load of money, so they decided not to make it, and that was the end of that. Mm. Maybe it was for the best. Mm-hmm. Hey, did you ever see this one? Ooh. Yeah, what a great I, movie. Looks familiar. What a great movie. And I just want to single out for you know someone who really should have been nominated for Best Supporting Actor, Jed. Jed the dog. Yes. That dog is great. <laughs> I thought for the longest time that most of the scenes with Jed were really good animatronic because that dog, he was emoting. Mm. He was really he was really giving it his all. Like, you know, he, he spent hours <clears throat> highlighting parts of the script and thinking hard about <laughs> what his motivations would be. Yes. 
He put way more in there than just about any actor. And this is this is before CGI, obviously. So look at that pissed off expression on his face. Like, you know, yeah, he was great. He was great in this movie. I would watch a Jed movie. If they were going to make a, a prequel and it, it focused just on Jed, I would have been the happiest, happiest man alive. Instead, they made The Thing. You probably don't remember this one. It's amazing to me that no one remembers this movie. It's not even that old. But but it just it just slipped right through the cracks and everyone was in no hurry to uncrack it. It it just failed. Absolutely failed. And one of the reasons it failed is that they said, "You know what? We're what is it that made Carpenter's movie so great? Well, it was directed by John Carpenter, and they weren't about to do that. But the other thing was that it was practical effects. It's probably one of the greatest examples of practical effects that's ever been put on there. Mm. So they were like, by God, we're going to do that too. And they fully intended to do that. They built these amazing practical effects things. So th- there's all this footage that they shot, test footage. Oh my and then at the last minute... Yeah. They basically said, nah, we're going to go with CGI because no we can do so much joke. more with that. And that's and that's what the kids like these days is CGI. Oh, no. So they did. And the movie is completely forgotten. And would it would it have succeeded with this? I can't say that it would have. Maybe that's just me, the geek, going for all the, the cool practical stuff. But I, I really do think it would have helped. There were some other problems with it. The whole premise... The fact that it's a prequel, we know how it ends, and, and uh, yeah, that's that's got some problems there. You know, when you think about people who have announced a lot of movies that have never actually come through with them, the first name that you come up with is uh, Guillermo del Toro. But in a close second place is um, Quentin Tarantino. And uh, he's got a bunch. He's one of these guys that just loves to talk around and, you know, takes his shoes off makes you take your shoes off and then starts over some beer and pizza starts talking about what he's going to do next and sometimes they're really kind of crazy like he wanted to do lucio fulci's lesser known and probably the least lucio fulci movie you'll ever see the psychic and it's i'm always amazed by tarantino that he he really gravitates toward not the movies i would have thought like you know oh i love giallo oh so do i quentin tarantino what's your favorite and then he'll pick something super obscure that i've never heard of and i watch it i'm like okay yeah it's 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 fine example of giallo but it's it's not in the top 20 Hmm. but for whatever it attracted to him and listen he's a strange guy but he is a genius and and i love his movies i mean if, if you tell me hey there's a film coming out and it's by if you give me a list of names the one that's i'm thinking this is probably the one i'm going to enjoy the most will be the one that tarantino does he he has never actually let me down um I don't know about that one. He also, Grindhouse. So, oh, this, God, this ticks me off. He was going to do Grindhouse 2, and it was going to include some of the ones, some of the movies that were the trailers. So, like, Edgar Wright was going to do Don't, which is a really creepy trailer, (laughs) and totally captured that Euro trash vibe. I got to say, Grindhouse is one of the most heartbreaking cinematic experiences of my life. This was me watching Grindhouse. (laughs) <laughs> this was me at the halfway mark when everyone got up and left after the first movie. I'm like, wait, stop. Like a crazy man. I'm jumping out of my seat. There's a whole other movie coming. And they're looking at me with alarm. Like, did you not look at the poster? Have you not read a review? Do, do you people just like show up at the theater and just blithely live your lives and, and, and not care about the whole premise of this? I'm explaining. I'm explaining what a grindhouse is to them. And they're, now they're fleeing. Now they're running and calling for security. 
Oh my God, I hate these people. These are the same people that at the end of every Marvel movie walk out during the credits and then come running back in because they hear the rest of us cheering and they're like, what did I miss? What did I miss? And you just want to lie to them and just come up with like the best thing ever. Oh, dude, dude, you missed it. Oh, yeah. Uh, Ant-Man, okay, Ant-Man's fiddling with some stuff and all of a sudden the Silver Surfer showed up. And you know who else is on his on his board, his silver board? Batman. It's a crossover. They're crossing over Batman and the Silver Surfer in the Marvel Universe. And you missed it, dude. That's what I want to do. Yeah. So uh, nobody went to see Grindhouse. And uh, it bombed. It's, it's like probably Tarantino's least successful film. So we're never going to get Grindhouse 2. Ah. Another one he wanted to do, and again, so Tarantino, he's got like the whole Marvel Universe to choose from. He wants to do Luke Cage, Power Man, with Lawrence Fishburne. And I'm like, okay, that's that's an interesting choice. And he went to them. I think he even wrote a script. He wrote the script, and he went and showed it to him. Now, this was Quentin Tarantino, like lowercase. This was maybe right after Reservoir Dogs. Hmm. Uh, you know, he, he wasn't, yeah, they, he, he wasn't the superstar. And they were like, Nah, no, I don't get it. What's uh, no? no. Um, they then they later they're like Quentin. They're like Quentin. We can't put that many n words in a Marvel. That's, film, that's right? oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> you're absolutely right. It's, yes. it's got to be rated PG thirteen. I think he also wrote a Silver Surfer script, and they didn't go for that one either. Yeah, and they were like Quentin. Once again, we cannot put that many n words in a <laughs> Silver no. Surfer movie. Right. <laughs> <Come back. laughs> what's What's funny is right about this time. Silver Surfer um, has always been a, a big favorite of, of people who want to make movies that are just never going to get made. Uh, this is look, check this out. This is an early thing done by a bunch of um, special effects people who wanted to show a proof of concept that you could actually make a Silver Surfer movie. This is like some of the oldest CGI you will ever see. No, wow. it's not great. I'm not going to pretend it is, but for the time it was made. This was absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. So these what guys, is this, what is this yeah, from? and this is just some some special effects people stealing no, money. Like, and, like when when was this made? Um, okay, right around the time of Terminator. Because look, he just took the Terminator doll <laughs> yeah. and turned it into. Uh, <laughs> so, so it was like circa T- like nineteen ninety one. Yeah, yeah, because you know the okay. Term- Terminator two shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, and and he goes off to other adventures, turning action figures into other action figures, and um, <laughs> so they showed this around, and they got massive amount- amounts of attention. They were being invited to all kinds of lunches and parties and everything else. And at some point, they realized no one had any interest whatsoever in actually making this film, but they did like to look at it. And um, <laughs> there you go, another. So the Silver Surfer's got a weird, weird history. Um, they actually wanted to make it back way early. Like, when did Xanadu come out? I'm thinking this was in the <laughs> 70s. It like 84? <laughs> really? That late? Or is that earlier? Or is that 78? Yeah, I'm thinking 78. It sounds like something my then girlfriend in high school would have been trying to drag me to go see. <laughs> um, okay, so Olivia Newton-John's boyfriend oh, slash... Yeah, sorry. Oh, okay. Her boyfriend slash manager wanted to take the Silver Surfer um, graphic novel, the Jack, Jack Lee, Stan Lee, Jack Kirby uh, graphic novel, which is actually pretty good. It's a standalone. It's not really set in the Marvel Universe. Hmm. You know, it's, it's a whole, it's like a separate thing entirely. Turn that into a movie. He spent a good bit of coin doing some what I think are pretty sharp looking 
proof of concept ideas using a bodybuilder spray painted silver. Oh, okay. He wanted to get Paul McCarthy to do the soundtrack. And here's where things start falling apart, because when they're describing it, they're trying to sell this to you. Like, here's what we're going to do. And you're going to get excited when you hear what we want to do. And one of the ideas was his theme was going to be a thousand electric guitars going off at once. (laughs) And I'm thinking that's going to sound like I'm at the airport standing way too close to a jet as it runs me over. I, I don't know that that... You know, it, when people get these ideas about what something good is, they just think of something that's okay and make it bigger. You know, when when Tom Cruise gets a, gets an award from Scientology, they they get like a normal size medallion and then they blow it up so that's so big it's 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 like dragging his head down on the ground because it's just too big. Flava Flav is telling him tone it down. Yeah, that's that's what it's like. And and then he was like, "Here's how we're going to do the special effects." And I know how to do some special effects, and this is not how you do it. He's like, we have, we're, I'm looking, talking to a guy who's come up with an electromagnetic system where we think you could get a board to actually float about six feet off the ground <laughs> using, you know, super high tech <laughs> and millions of volts of electricity. We, we could do this thing. And, and I'm thinking, oh my God, you're going to kill this guy to what? Get him six inches off the ground in the middle of a soundstage somewhere when I don't know green screen would work perfectly fine (laughs) and is a lot less likely to kill you they're just they didn't seem to know what the hell they were doing and eventually xanadu they decided to do xanadu first and see if they could really get these special effects down and nobody went to see xanadu Mm. so that was the end of olivia newton john and the silver surfer (sighs) going back to the tarantino thing real quick uh, interesting little piece of trivia though uh, Silver Surfer has showed up in exactly one live-action film, and you know who uh, did, voiced him? Lawrence Fishburne. So. Oh. Yeah. Oh. That was the Doug Jones um, Fantastic yeah, yeah. Four? Doug Jones did his mocap, and Fishburne did his, uh, his Now, voice. if I recall, and, talking about the Silver Surfer has also ended up in um, a film. It was a submarine movie that was punched up by Quentin Tarantino, so he slipped in some comic book references mm. yeah yeah silver surfer is very popular he showed up in breathless too oh back to quentin tarantino i think they actually asked him to do iron man and um or no what happened is they they called in all these writers like we want to do iron man let's hear your ideas and he threw out a bunch of ideas and they said thank you we'll call you and they never called <laughs> apparently they just did this with everyone have I mentioned how scummy these people are? Hmm. This is how they get their stuff. They call in all these writers. They get a bunch of ideas. And then they probably, they're writing them all down. And they hire someone for nothing and give them all these ideas. They're the worst. Finally, Quentin was famous enough that they came crawling to him. And they offered him Green Lantern. And he said, <laughs> you know, <laughs> screw you and the dog you rode in on. And, and that was one of his best career choices ever. I will give any Quentin Tarantino project an automatic three ice cream cones. And if we've got comic book characters attached to it, that gets another one. So all of these would have been great. And we're never going to get to see any of them. Mm-hmm. We're also not going to get to see John Carpenter's Firestarter. Oh. Uh, this one this one came about as close as you can get because we did get Firestarter. The only part we didn't get was the John Carpenter bit. Mm-hmm. He was signed on to do it. They had Drew Barrymore as as Charlie, the fire starter, because who else would they get? You know, she was the right age and, and popular, and she was good at it. 
Richard Dreyfus was going to play her dad. Mm. And um, huh. they were, yeah, they, they had a pretty okay. decent sized budget. And then the thing came out. Um, mm. The budget was supposed to be, the budget for Firestarter was going to be $27 million. This is, this is not supposed to be a low budget film. It's a Firestarter for God's sakes. <laughs> And uh, the thing came out, and it, it's hard for people to realize today just how badly the thing bombed. You know, people people went to the theaters just to not go see the thing. It was it just, yeah, unbelievable. I was there opening night, and I and and this that's one of these movies that broke my heart again because I was loving it, and I could tell the audience was not as into it as I was, and there wasn't many of them. This was the year of ET. That's the kind of mm. that's the kind of extraterrestrial we wanted, apparently. So they went to Carpenter and they said, uh, we're cutting the budget from 27 to 15. And Carpenter said, you know, I can walk away from this and you still have to pay me. And that's what he did. They, he had a payer. He, I mean, before the thing, he had enough oomph with the industry that he could actually have this pay or play thing. And when they decided to renege on the agreed to budget, he was able to walk away and got himself like a, a, an airplane out of it. Hmm. So... Um, so we did not get John Carpenter's obviously superior version of Firestarter. But again, <laughs> we did get Christine. And that's the thing. He went and, and, you know, now they had this hole in his time. He went and did Christine. So we probably wouldn't have gotten a really good Stephen King adaptation if it hadn't been for them screwing him on what ended up being a bad one. But I still think Firestarter had a lot of potential. They've tried it twice and they've screwed it up both times. And that's about as many times as you should be allowed to do it. But for whatever reason... They can't seem to crack what made the Firestarter a pretty good little novel. It wasn't one of King's best, but it was very likable. Mm-hmm. It has a terrible ending. Ah, I, and, and I know Stephen King and terrible endings is, is a shocker, mm-hmm. but um, it's it's one of his worst endings. Literally, the end. Uh, just spoiler alert: the ending of the novel of Firestarter is that um, we got this big conspiracy and everything, and how how is this little girl going to protect herself? How is the truth going to get out? She goes to Rolling Stone. That's the ending of it. She's walking through the doors of Rolling Stone, and Jan Wenner is going to crack this, and by God, those people are going to pay because, you know, oh, you can keep your Washington Post and and New York Times. She's going to Rolling Stone. Like, Stephen, you are such a hippie. You really are. I distinctly remember reading that, too, and I was like, whoa. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I think we're supposed to feel good. Oh, thank God. Rolling Stone. Woo! Yeah, uh, four stars to four four ice cream cones. Okay, so my favorite director, no secret, Mario Bava, master of color, master of darkness and light. Just yeah, great stuff. So influential. If you saw Crimson Peak, you saw a love letter to Mario Bava. Um, and I love everything Mario Bava did. Every single thing he did, except for Doctor Goldfoot and the Bikini. But it's terrible. It's terrible. Look, he was Italian. And he spoke Italian. He didn't speak English. And they drag him to America and make him do this Vincent Price comedy. It wasn't funny. What chance did it have to be funny when the director doesn't even know what the jokes are? And God bless him, the jokes weren't good, so it wouldn't have mattered anyway. I just don't think that was his gift. Comedy was not necessarily his gift. So we should probably be grateful that when King Kong was being produced, there were plans to make Baby Kong, directed by Mario Baba. And all we have is this poster and a script. And I've read the script because I am a Bava completist. I, I will watch. Wait, it. wait, that's the, that's the poster. Was that really a thing or you just like one you threw together? 
I would love to say that I threw this together. And in fact, it does look like something that really low God. generation AI, like the AI you get when you can't afford mid-journey, like you go for the free ones. Yeah. Yeah, it really does look like no. This was an actual poster from the mid seventies. Oh Jesus! This was to, this was to get interest for this film. Um, it's oh. about a little boy who finds a baby Kong, and uh, so it's kind of a heartwarming story about a child and a large, overgrown beast. Except that the beast kills a lot of people, and then then he dies horribly in the end. And I'm like reading this, and it's like um. These are supposed to be jokes, but they're not funny, and there's lots of death, and what the hell? So, fortunately, Dino De Laurentiis' movie did not make enough money that they could do some cheap, jack, awful thing. One of the greatest books ever written about a filmmaker, probably the best, is uh, uh, Tim Lucas's Mario Bava, All the Colors of the Night. And even he, who is the greatest Mario Bava fan of all time, I am, I am just a speck compared to the love that tim lucas has for mario baba even he cannot work up any level of enthusiasm for this project and although one of the tragedies of baba is that i wish we had more films of his especially toward the end we are all grateful that this did not happen so yeah bullet dodged hey did i mention that guillermo de toro really likes to announce a lot of things that never get made (laughs) (laughs) but i can't blame him for this Uh one because at the mountains of madness came real close he, uh, the, the man's, yeah. the man's a visionary and he managed to put together a project that would have been, and this sounds a whole lot scarier now than it did a few years ago, a $200 million horror movie, which sounds crazy. But now every time I see something that, you know, Disney puts out and, and what it costs and what we get, I'm like, yeah, I guess $200 million ain't what it used to be. I mean, this one, you could see the money on every frame. That's a mutated penguin. That's not. That's Ron Perlman. It's easy to mistake the two, but yeah. <laughs> uh, Ron Perlman was going to be in it and and possibly not be the scariest thing in there. And Tom Cruise. Look, I joke about Tom Cruise because he deserves it. He's a nut, but he is a nut who is very, very good at picking his projects. You know, when you hear Tom Cruise made a science fiction movie, you're like, oh, that's going to suck. And then like, oh, wow, actually, that was pretty good. Yeah, okay, The Mummy. We'll give him that. That one did not work out well, but for the most part, a Tom Cruise film is probably going to be good, even if he's hopelessly miscast. Oh, Jack Reacher's six foot seven and built like an Olympic god. Yeah, we're going to put uh, <laughs> Tom Cruise in there. We'll just have him stand on boxes, and everybody else has to stand in a ditch. It'll work, but it's still a good movie. That's what's frustrating. It's a good movie. You want to hate it because he's so miscast, but it's a good movie. So he was going to be in this. They were going to show Cthulhu. Finally, after this this creature being in. The zeitgeist, you know, just everyone knows what he is, but no one makes movies about him. You know, little little bits and pieces, but not, the whole thing. Finally, we even have some behind the scenes, some footage, some sample footage. So check this out. Hmm. Huh? Oh, man. Huh? Nice. Yeah, I, I do, yeah. I, I do, you know, I, I, I would have loved to have seen this movie, but also uh, I don't think I've ever seen that concept art of Cthulhu before, and if that was what he was going to look like, I'm kind of glad uh, it didn't get made. 
Yeah, um, I mean, I don't know. Now, here's part <laughs> of the thing. Is you got, keep, I, I, I probably should have had this at the beginning. I cannot 100% vouch for the veracity of almost anything I say. <laughs> I, for most of it, <laughs> not, not, just, not just in this presentation. Just, no, no, just ever. In general. Just in general, in general, really. <laughs> I, I am an unreliable narrator. All of these things that I have, I believe, are actual pre-production art and everything. But there's so many people out there that just do this and throw it out there and and just put little, oh, this is a sample footage and everything. And I don't know. I don't know, you know. They, sometimes it, it's it's like I, I love to, to post pictures on Facebook of demons and stuff. And they're like, who did this? Like, I don't have the faintest idea. Somehow it's gotten on Pinterest. And once it gets on Pinterest, it's it's released by a thousand people, all of whom take credit for it. So who knows? I don't know. Cthulhu did show up in the script that I read, um, which was okay. It wasn't. It didn't. It wasn't great. But again, an okay script that's going to be directed by Guillermo del Toro. I suspect is going to become better than okay in the finished project. You know, there's there's a lot that people will bring to this. So um, I'm giving it only three. They canned it because they said there's no way that an R-rated movie and this would be R-rated. Is go- you can't make a $200 million R-rated movie. Then Deadpool came out and blew away all their expectations. And now, you know, it, it seems more feasible. But time has passed, and I don't know. There doesn't seem... It seems to have been put on the back burner. Every now and then they talk about bringing it back, and I don't know. When momentum is lost in a film project, it's well and truly lost. Mm. We also could have had Guillermo del Toro doing Pet Cemetery. Mm. Oh. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I would like to see how that turned out. Um, they did a remake of it, so I'm pretty sure this project's dead in the water. They're not going to do it again. Mm. And as far as the remake goes, I mean, it had some twists and turns that would have been genuinely shocking if they weren't on the poster and trailer. But <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Crazy talk from Bill Mulligan once again. Who pays attention to that? Then he was going to do The Sand Kings. Now, is anyone else familiar with this story? Because I was not. No. Uh, I'm not, I'm not no. familiar with the story, but uh, I can tell you that this did get made at one point. It did. It was, it was, I'm trying to remember if. It was uh, the first, I believe the first, the very first episode of the Outer Limits 90s version. Oh, you're kidding. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's no. a, it's a really cool premise that this guy is given this gift of these creatures called Sand Kings. They are intelligent insect creatures in terrariums that build cities and wage wars against each other, and you can watch them, and you're watching these civilizations grow, and as long as you feed them and take care of them, they even start, like, erecting statues to you because you're their deity. And this guy is given this, and he's completely irresponsible for it and forces them to fight against each other, and eventually they get tired of his shit. It's a really, (laughs) really cool premise. It's a really cool premise, and I would love to see what he was going to do with that. It's like the Sea Monkeys episode of South Park. Yeah, yeah yes, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I'll bet any amount of money that they read Sand Kings because, yes, yeah. it's very much like that. That's great. It's, it's just a neat idea. Uh, they've been trying to make Sandman and Death into movies forever, and Neil Gaiman just has one horror story after another about how they totally didn't understand anything about what he was doing. And the closest they probably came was that George R. R. Martin was attached to the standalone death the high cost of living which was a really nice one but now we've got you know a a pretty good adaptation of uh sandman on netflix i'm a little conflicted about it because i think they did a good job and i realized that you know honestly 
there's a lot of things that are just better the way in the format that they were. Sandman was a great comic book. Mm. It would have made a pretty good animated show. And it's an okay live action. Even though there's there's nothing wrong with it. They did everything right. The casting's good. Everything about it's good. You just realize, yeah, you really lose a lot when you go from one format to another. Mm. It was made for comics. It It's a good comic. And you when you try to do it live action where you're limited by the actual physicality of three-dimensional living, breathing humans, there's a lot you lose. And you don't realize how much of it you lose until you see it. It becomes really just excellent cosplay. Mm. So, I don't know. I wish they'd gone animated. Hey, he was also going to do Halo. That was a big thing mm. for a while. Boy, they were trying to make a Halo movie. And um, for whatever reason, just just didn't go. And then there's one that really kind of ticks me off because they did it and they did it badly. Uh, Haunted Mansion. He loves the Haunted Mansion. He is a fanatic. He he thinks of the Haunted Mansion, mansion the way I do Mario Bava. He uh-huh. was going to do it right. And uh, they decided to go in a different direction. And oh. then they just remade it again. Another, you know, what, it's been like, what, five years and it's time to reboot the Haunted Mansion? Did that really set the place on fire the first time that they had to do it again? Disney is just creatively bankrupt. I can't take any more. <laughs> hey, how about this one, though? Peter Pan. Boy, if there's one project I don't want to see, it's another Peter Pan movie. <laughs> if there's two, it would be Peter Pan and Tarzan. <laughs> Everything that's been done has been done. Or has it? Because Del Toro was going to do a modern version where Hook... Is the good guy a former detective trying to track down a child killer version of Peter Pan? Wow. What? What? <laughs> yes, I would go see that. Now, I have a feeling I'd be in a lonely theater. I don't think this has any profit ability on it at all, but I, I love the idea. And then there's one I really just would genuinely like to see done. I think it's time for a remake of Fantastic Voyage, and Del Toro oh, would yeah. be an excellent person to do it. It's a fun movie, as it is, but it's very dated. And, uh, yeah, it would be really cool to see a, a remake of that. I think that'd be, that'd be great. Ah, that, that gets four ice cream cones right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to part one of Bill's Unseen Horrors, films that were never made. Stay tuned, and we will have part two in a few days. And we will be back next week with another episode of Q-Tips.